Whenever Richard Corey went downtown, we people on the pavement all looked at him. He was a gentleman from sole to crown, clean-favored and imperially slim. And he was always quietly arrayed, but he was always human when he talked. But still, he fluttered pulses when he said, Good morning. And he glittered when he walked. And he was rich, (laughs) richer than a king, and admirably schooled in every grace. In fine, we thought he was everything to make us wish we were in his place. So on we worked, waited for the light, went without meat, cursed the bread. And Richard Corey, one calm summer night, went home and put a bullet through his head. You're going... That wasn't what I expected to start a message. You know, the reality is sometimes as we, um, we go through life and we don't, um, life does not have what it seems to be, or at least on the outward appearances. The fact is, is, have you heard of a guy named Joe DiMaggio? You remember him? Those who were sports fans, maybe not sports fans, lived a few years ago. Considered probably one of the greatest Yankees of all times. I don't know if you're a Yankee fan. I'm not necessarily a Yankee fan. But uh, during his life, he was considered a guy who had it all together. He was a guy who had so many things going on for him that so often what happened was is that uh, when he would go into a room, people would stand and cheer because Joe DiMaggio had this image of being the perfect guy. Matter of fact, he was so perfect that he married probably who was considered uh, one of the most, uh, uh, probably the most famous women of his day, Marilyn Monroe. He had everything going for him. He seemed to have this perfect image, except the problem was it wasn't real. Because people were shocked that when he died and later on when someone wrote a biography of him, They let it be known that Joe DiMaggio really, everything about his life was image control. Uh, Everything about his life was, was, was fake because he wasn't really the gentleman. He wasn't really the person who had it all together. He wasn't really that at all. What he was, he was a guy who was angry and bitter and let it out in all kinds of ways behind the scene. See, so often in life what happens is, is we have this image of ourselves. We want people to see. Even as Christians, we have image control that goes on. We want things to appear to be good. And when and doing that, let me tell you this, doing that will cause us so often to do this. It will cause us to live life that's miserable because it is tough to maintain an image. It causes us all kinds of problems to maintain the image that sometimes we think we need to have. And for many of us, the Christian life is not an oasis at all. What it is, it's really a mirage. It's something that we hope that we that's out there and we see it in the future, but or we see it in the distance, but we really can't grasp it. And we wonder, want to understand, what is the Scripture talking about when it says that Jesus wants to live life to the full? We talked about that last week. What does that mean? 
You know, the definition of the word oasis, besides the obvious one of the place where you find in the desert where there's water, is this. It's something serving as a refuge, a relief, or a pleasant change from what is usual, annoying, or difficult, or a place of peace, safety, or happiness in the midst of a trial. Does it sound like a place you like to find? Well, the fact is that that's the kind of life that God wants us to live. There needs to be a place of, of, of refuge, a place with Him, as we just sang in the song, needs to be a place of calm and peace in the midst of chaos of life. And so what we're going to examine for the next eight weeks, including today, is this whole thing of, of how do we find this kind of relationship with God and how do we change the things in life that we'd like to change and what causes us not to change it. Let me, let me just give you a few questions. Is it possible, in a real sense, we're going to examine all these things, is it possible that you've been using God to run from God? You're going like, what? We're going to talk about that. Uh, is it possible that you ignore the emotions of anger, the emotions of sadness and fear because you don't want to deal with them? Because they're, they're not, you know, good emotions. We're going to talk about why it's important to understand those emotions and deal with them in a proper way, a biblical way. Um, what does our culture have to say, or why does culture have such a powerful influence on me? I mean, we know that culture does not draw us toward God. It draws us in the opposite direction. But why does it have such a powerful influence on me? That's one of the things we need to ask ourselves. We're going to examine that. <laughs> Here's a good one. How does my past influence my present? Well, aren't I, when I become a Christian, a new creation in Christ? Yes. But I hate to tell you this, you got some baggage you brought along with you. And you need to deal with it. And we're going to talk about that. Maybe you've been dividing life into secular and sacred compartments or components. And you're going, what's wrong with that? Isn't, you know, like church on Sunday and work on Monday? They're not to be, no. The Bible says they're to be connected. Everything is sacred for the Christian. For the person who wants to find this place with God, this oasis. Why do we often try to have this image control like like Joe DiMaggio had? Why do we try to cover over our brokenness or our weakness or our failure? And how does that cause us problems when we do that? We're going to talk about that. And why do I believe that I could live life without limits? Trying to do it all. When I know I can't. We're going to talk about that as well. These are just a few of the things that causes problems and why. And we have to ask ourselves some issues over the next several weeks that will help us to examine how to live life in a place where God and we have this continual presence of God in our life and we do the things that are most important. But today what we want to do is uh, I want to talk about this for, for a few minutes today. And we want to talk, first of all, this today about what it means to be emotionally unhealthy from a spiritual standpoint. We want to talk about emotionally unhealthy spirituality. That's kind of a mouthful, isn't it? Uh, actually, there's a book that the small groups, that some of our small groups are going to be using that's called that, that if you'd like to really go with deeper into this, I would encourage you to get in one of these groups. Each week they'll be following along with the messages and talking about this in more depth because let me tell you the truth, folks. The biggest fear I have first week of a series is this, trying to give you an overview of what we're going to talk about without being here for two hours. But we're not, okay, I promise you, today, because there's so much to cover. The thing is, is that in a real sense, our life as Christians, the reason is so often that um, 
we have these problems is because it's, we're kind of like more like this next illustration, the iceberg. You know, people see uh, see the, just the tip of the iceberg. You know, the iceberg is something, most of an iceberg is 90% of an iceberg is underwater. You don't even see it. The Titanic found that out the hard way. But the issue is most people only see a small percentage of your life. And most of it's under the surface. I mean, a lot of it you know about, but you don't let anybody else know. But some of it you don't even know about yourself. And we have to examine that, and, and there's reasons we don't know that, and, and we'll be going to be talking about that. Now, today what I want to do is I want to use a biblical example each week. There's some great biblical examples, people in Scripture, who really give an illustration of, of, these, of these things that we're going to be talking about. But today I want to use probably the best example or the greatest example in Scripture of someone who had a lack of emotional health and a person who never slowed down and reflected in his life at all. And his name was Saul. Saul was an Old Testament character who probably meant, I mean, if I could have spent, if I had enough time, I could spend hours talking about Saul and the reasons he's not the example to follow. But today I just chose three things out of Saul's life that will help us to understand some issues that we're going to be dealing with over a period of time and why they're so important. Let me give you a little background into Saul. If you read in 1 Samuel, the, 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 the book of 1 Samuel and the Old Testament, uh, beginning with chapter 1 and beginning through chapter about 18, you'll see a whole bunch of information about this guy named Saul. Saul who became a king. But Saul, when he starts off, and we understand earlier on, if you read this, you want to go back and read this, he was a very humble person. As a matter of fact, when, when Samuel, the prophet, goes out to find the person who is going to be the king, the, the king of Israel, and he goes to find this guy, basically Saul is kind of hiding. It says he was taller and better looking than anybody around. He was like a foot taller than everybody. But the issue, and he, and he was a cool, but he was a very humble guy to start off with. A very humble guy to start off with. But he got lost along the way. And eventually, if you read the story and go through it, eventually when he's anointed king and he becomes king, he's kind of a reluctant king in a real sense. But the problem is down the road, uh, he, and, he's, and he's, he's anointed king by God. But what happens is, is over in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, we see an episode about what happens to him after a period of time. He believes that he is following God's plan, but he's really not listening to God. And he really feels no guilt or remorse because he's not connected with himself. He doesn't even understand what's going on inside of him. Because Saul's life from the outside, like Joe DiMaggio's life from the outside, and Richard Corey's life from the outside, all looked like they were together. Everything looked good. But it wasn't good at all. Because both his emotional and his spiritual life were out of order. But it, and we have to understand something. So often in the life of the church, we don't want to talk about, we don't talk about the emotional components of life. But I want to tell you this, this is part of the deal. Unless we understand this. We can't separate the two unless we get beneath the surface of who we really are. We will never, we will have all these barriers in our life to get into the place where God wants us to be. And we'll continue to run a life, to live a life where we're constantly running from here to there to everywhere, trying to do everything. And what we'll end up doing is doing none of the things that we really want to do. There was a study done many, many years ago about people who had lived to be 100 years old. 
And they asked these people who had lived to be 100 years old, they asked, if you could do anything, if, if you could do two or three things in life differently, what would you do? You know, none of them said, I'd like to work more. None of them said, I'd like to spend more time, I'd like to do more things. You know what, Most, almost every one of them said, they said, I'd like to focus my life more. I'd like to have slowed down, slowed down and reflected more. I'd like to do all those things. You know, I realize now that I was just running around doing crazy stuff. And I have a feeling, I don't know how many of us are going to live to be 100 years old, but even if we live to be whatever age we live to be, we probably can look back and we'll have regrets. And God wants us to spend some time in a place with him so we can ask him and connect with him during this time. So let's look at the life of Saul a little bit. Saul in First Samuel chapter 15. Verses 20 through 24, if you have your Bibles this morning, you might want to turn to that. Uh, he had come to a place where God had given him, where, where Samuel and God had given him a, a, a task to do. He says, you're going to go and you're going to go, go into this place and there's this people called the Amalekites. And the Amalekites were basically an evil group of people who had, who had just pushed God's people away, that put God's people down. And God told him to do something. He said, I want you to go and I want you to completely, the word was completely, destroy the Amalekites, the king, the people, everything they have. Destroy all their sheep, destroy all their goods, everything. I don't want you to leave anything because I want their, their, their even their whole history to be wiped out. This is, now don't ask me why God told him that, but that's what God told him to do. He said, that's what you're to, to, to do. And then we read this. But, th- but the thing is, is that when he went there, what happened was, is that, is that he did partially what God wanted him to do. He didn't kill the king. He brought him back. He didn't, didn't slaughter, they didn't slaughter all their animals. They chose the best ones and brought them back. And then we see these verses in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15 verses 20 through 24, uh, 20 through 24. Saul comes before Samuel and he's kind of whining. And he says this, but I did obey the Lord. Saul said, I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back, well, and then he says he completely destroyed And he says, and then I brought back King Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord of the, uh, the word of the Lord or the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. And the reason I did this, and he gives an excuse, the reason I did this was because I was afraid of the people, not God, of the people. And I so I gave in to them. See, I want to give you three things in Saul's life we see that are examples that of a person who is emotionally unhealthy and because of that has these things that hinder them from having a relationship with God and doing the things that God wants them to do and being the person God wants them to be. The first example is this. An emotionally unhealthy person, let's use the example of Saul, says no to reflection and self-awareness. Now you're going like, what in the world? That sounds like psychological terms. Well, it is in a sense, but it's something the Bible talks about all the time. On the surface, Saul looked like he was serving God. He was praying. He was listening, supposedly, to God. 
He was going, he was doing religious stuff. He was going to church, going to the temple, doing all the things that you would think is what God wants you to do. He was even doing some of what God wanted him to do. But underneath there was this rebellion. There was this, uh, this need that was greater than his need for serving God. What was his greatest problem? His need for approval. His need for saying, I was afraid of the people. Now I wasn't afraid of God. Now, is that very smart? I mean, who do you have more? Who has more power? Now, I'm not asking a hard question here, okay? Who has more power, God or people? God, okay? But that being the case, if somebody, you know, who should you look for approval to? That's a, that's a good question. So why did Saul do that? Why was he afraid of people? Why are we afraid of people? Why do we live our life in such a way that so often we simply spend all of our time trying to get people's approval? See, if you, if you live your life that way, you, you could become like Saul. I'm not saying you, hopefully you won't become like Saul. But you could be, if you live your life, even though you're trying to do the religious things, if you're trying to get the approval of people and that's your main thing in life, it can cause you to spiral down in life. You know, matter of fact, what happened really close soon after this episode here is a young man came into Saul's life. His name was David. And as David, we're going to talk about David next week. As David came into Saul's life, David was a young man. He was just simply following God's plan. He wasn't perfect. We'll talk about that next week too. But he was a person who, who came into Saul's life and he simply followed God's plan. And guess what happened? Well, he, he, all he did was raise Saul's anger. Saul, because of his own emotional immaturity, he became jealous and angry and bitter toward the things that David was doing. And basically, if you want to read chapters 18 through 20 of first, of first Samuel, you'll find it's filled with details of how Saul tried six different times to kill David, constantly trying to murder David. Because by the end of his life, as he allowed this, this immaturity, even though he started off trying to serve God, as he allowed this immaturity, this emotional uncontrol, this unawareness in his life, he lost all control. And what he did it was on an all-out hunt. Saul had this explosive anger, and it was dangerous to him, and it was dangerous to other people. You see, envy destroys your ability to think straight. And while Saul thought he was truly following God, what he was really doing, most of the time he was not really paying attention to God because he was so focused on what other people thought. And you and I know that. But why do we do it? And don't say you don't do this. I mean, how often in life do we simply try to seek the approval of people in so many ways? I mean, how many people you know or I mean, have you ever seen, it's not you, but have you ever seen this? Uh, you're, you know, somebody who's really jealous, jealous about the favor someone is getting in your office or at school. I mean, somebody gets awards and, and you're sitting there going, instead of saying, good for you, you're going like, I wish I got it. You, know, you come home and you gripe to your wife, or you gripe to your husband, or your, your kids gripe to you, so-and-so did this, and why do they get it? I mean, I should have gotten it. You know, we do that kind of stuff all the time. 
or we make decisions about work or career out of fear because we want people to feel that we're that, that we're we're good people. We're not losers, and so we'll go along with the crowd and do the things that they do, even though we know they're wrong. Or, or you can go to the extreme. I mean, the extremes are this. So, so I know so many young people in a dating relationship who give their body away sexually out of fear that the other person won't love them, won't accept them. The thing is we have to understand sometimes we do hear God, but it's too emotionally painful to change, and so we don't do it because we're more afraid of what people will think than what God will think. See, we live one appearance above the surface, but another whole reality below the surface. And we can become unaware of even that we're doing it sometimes because we do it so much. You know, one good thing, I, I could tell you this, um, you know, I'm fer- fairly in touch with who I am. I know I'm honorary. I know I'm difficult sometimes. You just ask my staff, you know. Uh, I, I know I'm cold, but I'm aware of it. You know, so your first thing is to be aware of what's going on. Some of you are, are that way and you don't know it. Saul didn't know it. He becomes so obsessed with the other things of trying to kill David and trying to be jealous and trying to deal with all the, the, the people and all their all the fears he had. He lived that way. See, let me tell you what the key to, to staying in touch with who you are is. And this is not hard. Nothing I'm going to say in this series is hard, but and you know this. It's this. The key to staying in touch with who you are and getting to know God better is reflection, silence, and solitude. Y'all hate silence. You do. You know, I, I can tell how many of you go get in your car and never turn on the radio or anything in your car, ever. Any of you do that? One of you, two of you. Okay, wow. Y'all are strange. You're really strange. How many of you go home and the first thing you do when you get through the door is you flip on the TV or you do something like that because you got to fill up that silence with with noise even though you're not watching it. Or there's nothing on the 727 channels that you have or whatever it is that you have, you know. I mean, the thing is, is that we hate silence. You know why? Because when we're silent, we got to fill it up with something. We began to do something bizarre. We began to reflect, to think about. And let me tell you, one of the hardest things in life for us in our culture, culture just eats this up, does not want us to be calm and silent. Satan, I think... the there's Satan is active in the world, I believe. And how he does it is not through going up and, you know, and doing like horror movies and jumping out at you. What he does is he tries to keep you so busy that you never reflect, that you never stop and ask yourself, who am I? Who is God? So one of the things we're going to practice, and I want you to encourage you to practice during this series, and not only just during this series, is during the remainder of your life, is to learn to spend time, carve out islands, oasis during the day, and on a regular basis to spend time reflecting and asking, who am I? Why did I do what I did? You know, so many people say things like, well, I, you know, I don't know why I did that. Well, stop and ask yourself and think about it for a while. But the issue is so often is we have, we don't, we're not in touch with ourselves and we're not in touch with God. We don't know God because we never slow down. We never reflect. We're never silent. We don't have any solitude in our life. See, I need silence and solitude to be in touch with me. And if I'm not in touch with me, I can't be in touch with God because they go together hand in hand. We're going to be talking about that. 
It takes silence and solitude in our lives to gently draw out of us the depths of the problem that we're in sometimes and to help us to see who we really are. You know, as we look at next week at David and, and we look at this week at Saul, you will see to- totally different lifestyles. Two totally messed up guys, okay? Let's just be honest. Two totally messed up... I don't want to destroy my iPod the first week I use it. But the thing is, is, is uh, two totally messed up guys. And the, thing, uh, and the thing is this, is that in Saul, you will never see him slowing down and reflecting on anything. But think about David. David was a guy who constantly, he was out tending sheep. He was out, what did David, did David ever write anything? Did he ever journal? Did he ever do any of those things? Yes, David was a person who constantly was thinking about who he was. He, he, he threw his life, if you read the Psalms, most of those that we believe are from David. Because he reflected, he knew who he was. Yes, he was messed up. But he was aware of it, and he, and he was aware of it, and he helped him to become a person who God said was a, a man after his own heart. So the first thing is this, is that you know, an un, emotionally unhealthy person doesn't cultivate this whole thing of, of silence and solitude or reflection and knowing themselves. The second thing, and these last two I'm going to spend just a very brief time on, is emotionally unhealthy person says no to cultivating their personal relationship with God. You see, Saul kind of accepts, accepts God's plan for his life early on when Samuel tells him what it's going to be. And he receives the blessing. He's all into receiving the blessing of God. But he kind of accepted God, but he was on autopilot. He didn't do anything to nurture his relationship with God. He only turned to God when he needed something. You look at, look at, read the first 20 chapters of 1 Samuel. The only time we see Saul going to God is when he's in trouble and he needs something. Is that the way you live life? Or do you nurture a relationship with God that, that means on a regular basis that you're connecting with him, not even, not when you need something, just so you can know him? He listens, Saul only listens for the benefits that he will receive. He never asked the question, how does what God is saying to me apply to me? How does it, what is he trying to say to me about me? You know, some of you come to church on Sunday mornings and you come in here and you, and you walk in the building and, and what you're doing instead of asking, this is, there's two ways you can approach church on Sunday. Let me tell you how to do that, okay? Number one, you can come in and say, what does God have in store for me today? What is he going to teach me? That's one way. The other way is to come in to evaluate everything. Well, the building looks clean. I hope the pastor says something that's helpful to me. The music was kind of, oh, it was all right, you know. And we can start doing this whole evaluation process of everything because we're, it's all about us. It's all about us. It's all about what you, I can get. But God says when I have a relationship with him, what he wants us to do is we need to ask this question because it's God we're talking to, and hopefully God works through this here, is that what is God saying to me that, about who I am and who he wants me to be? It's two approaches. till I see the person who is emotionally immature, the person who is emotionally unhealthy, says no to cultivating this personal relationship with God. It's kind of like an afterthought. It's not, a, it's not an intentional process. And I will tell you that if you'll stop and reflect and slow down, God will tell you some things about you. Some of them you don't want to hear. 
Some of them you do want to hear. I can tell you from the times that I have slowed down. Uh, years ago, I never reflected. I was just busy, 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 busy all the time. And I came to a place in my life where I was crying out to God a few years ago. I shared this before. When I came to the place in life determining, do I want to stay in ministry? This was about uh, two or three, three or four years before I came to Great Oaks. Or do I want to go you know, do something else just totally mindless? Just get a job and that takes no thought processes and just do it you know i worked at a factory in general electric for one year and i i, I ground burrs off of off of little uh uh pieces of metal you know what it is meat no all you have to do is remember to take the pick up the next piece you know eight hours a day and they did that for a long time going like i'd love to go back to that job paid real money But the issue is, is that so often we don't, we just, we go through life and we don't think about the things. When I, when I sat down a few years ago and sat down and began to reflect, I spent three days on top of a mountain with, you know, just kind of like reflecting and being silent. And they, they, it was called a, a gathering of silence, kind of a weird gathering. You didn't go to a conference where they talked to you. They said, we're going up here. You're going to sleep in this place. We're going to feed you food. And the rest of the time, you just don't talk. And that was the weirdest thing I'd ever done in my life. But I said, during that time of slowing down and listening to God, he changed the way I think, thought about a lot of things. See, contemplation is about listening to God is about clearing space out so that you can go deep and wide with him. And so often in life, we simply just run, 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 and we never contemplate. We never ask the questions about what's most important in life, and so we try to do it all. That was the problem with Saul. See, emotionally healthy Christians, they nurture that personal relationship with God when everything around them says, you know, stay busy. you got to do it all. The third thing that I learned from Saul is this about emotionally unhealthy persons is this. An emotionally unhealthy person says no to being broken through setbacks and difficulties. How many of you here, let's do a brief survey. You can actually respond to this this morning before. This is the last thing you have to raise your hand for, okay? Okay. Um, how many of you here love to have difficulties in your life? I want to see if any of you need counseling. <laughs> anybody raise? None of us like difficulties, do you? To have setbacks in your life. None of us like that, do we? But let me tell you something about difficulties and setbacks. And you can think back to this and know that it's true. When did you grow the most in your life? During all the wonderful times when you went to Disney World? Or when you were going through a tough time? And learning how to depend upon God and doing that. Where is the place that God teaches you the great, the greatest times? Well, the thing is, is that Saul, like all of us, hated setbacks and difficulties. But Saul, because of his emotional and health, didn't see that how God was using those. It caused him to spiral into deeper and deeper problems. You know, in, in chapter 13, when he was supposed to wait for the Philistines, you can go back and read this. What happened was, is he, he simply, simply did not, uh, want to wait. He was too much in a hurry. So what does he do? He jumps into it and messes things up. In chapter 15, he never learned. He never changed. In fact, he only became harder. Um, you know, only it was, it was only through hurts, problems, sufferings you will learn humility. Remember when we went back in the fall, those of you who were here, when we, the first beatitude is about doing what? Being humble. God wants to get us to a place where we will listen to him and follow him. And the problem is so often is we're so busy we never reflect. And so we think that difficulties and setbacks are always bad. And I'm not saying we, we, we desire those, but the issue is, is that God uses those. 
to help to mature us. If we will let him. I mean, we read these verses earlier in 1 Samuel 15, verses 22 and 23. Does the Lord, Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the voice of the Lord? You know what it's saying? He says, does he like religious stuff? You know, just going to church, reading your Bible, doing stuff that. You know, you, you, you know, that sounds good stuff. He said, does he like that more or obedience more? See, to obey is better than sacrifice is what, is what Samuel said. And the thing we understand here is Saul did not have this beatitude one mindset that blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. He didn't have that mindset. His mindset was, I hate going through this. And he never learned anything from it because he was emotionally immature. He looked good on the outside. I mean, this guy was tall. He was good looking. He had everything he wanted. He was king. But the guy was messed up inside. You see, Christ said this. Christ learned this. It says in Hebrews, it says Christ learned this. In Hebrews 5, 8, it says that although Christ, Jesus Christ was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Now, isn't that strange that even the son of God, as he was a human, the way he learned was through suffering? And I love this verse out of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. It says this, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert those 40 years to do what? To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and feeding you with manna, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, God wants to take the Saul out of us. That's what he wants to do. He wants to remove that saw, the saw out of us, this immature, emotional infant in a real sense. We're going to do a survey here. We're going to, you get to grade yourselves over the next eight weeks. You get to do a test. Nobody else will know about it unless you show them. And at the end of the test, guess what? You get to ask yourself this question about we're going to do some stuff, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. And each week we're going to do a part of it. And at the end, you'll decide whether you're an emotional adult, adolescent, child, or infant. And I will not tell you, if you don't know what's the best, come see me, okay? But the issue is, is we get to grade yourself because Saul, in a sense, was like an emotional infant. He just simply did not learn from anything in life. He saw the setbacks and the difficulties in life, even though he knew they were going to come their way, and they will come come your way in life. He saw them as something he, he never learned from them because he was emotionally unaware and because he wasn't connected with God. That's why both guys, David and Saul, and David as we talk about next week, David, even though he went through a lot of difficulties in life, he learned from his difficulties. It helped him to grow him up, to become more mature in his life. See, adversity strips illusions away in your life. It it brings about authenticity. Proverbs 29 says, Who can say I have kept my heart pure? I am clean without sin. Well, Saul would say, Me, because he was totally unaware. But David would be the first to say, I'm a sinner. See, emotionally healthy people say yes to reflection and self-awareness. They say yes to cultivating their personal relationship with God. They say yes to being broken through setbacks and difficulties. Go to the next slide. 
this is kind of a picture of how it all fits together. We're going to be talking about this over the next several weeks. See, we talked about this, that God wants us, the greatest purpose God has for us in life is what? To love God and love others. But do you remember what he, how he said to love others in the great commandment? Love others as yourself. Now, if I don't love myself, I'm not aware who I am in relationship to God, and I'm always con- constantly having to... Pr- I will never love others. You have to be aware of yourself. You have to love yourself. It's not a not a wrong thing. It's a biblical thing to do, but you've got to do it in the right way. And two things that kind of deal with that to help you deal with these in a real way is emotional health and then what we call contemplative spirituality, this time of reflecting and learning that's a spiritual discipline that we have to have in our life. And if we don't have it in our life, we will never grow up to be what God wants us to be. Now, this morning, I want to close by giving you the top ten symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality or a person who has not grown up from an emotional standpoint. Let me give you ten symptoms, and we're going to talk about some of these and how, how we can resolve some of these over the next several weeks. Number one, using God to run from God. Basically, Saul does that. He's just religious. He thinks that's good enough, but he's not really connected to God. Ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. You know, how is God coming to me through these? How is God working in my life through these emotions that I have in my life? Why do I want to ignore them all the time? We're going to talk about that. Dying to the wrong things. You know that there's certain people that say, well, you know, when they become a Christian, I've got to die to myself, and they die to all the wrong things. Some, God gives us some healthy things, some healthy things in life that we're to be a part of. We don't die to everything. Denying the past impact on the present. You know, some of you, every time you walk in the room, you walk in the room with all your family baggage attached to you. And sometimes you don't even know it. You know, the first thing I talk to young couples when they come into my office for premarital counseling, I said, tell me about your family you grew up in. And they look at me like, what does that have to do with the cows in China? Everything. If you don't understand that, you need to be here that week I talk about that. Dividing life into secular and sacred compartments. What's that wrong? What's the problem with that? We're going to talk about that. That's, that's a symptom of emotional. If you don't understand it, it's a symptom of being emotionally unhealthy. Uh, doing for God instead of just simply being with God. I mean, it's not developing a personal relationship with him. See, God wants to have a personal relationship. He just don't want you to do stuff for him all the time. We can become, in the fall, we talked about doing stuff for God. That's great. God wants you to do it. But he wants you to have a personal relationship, too, because if, if all you ever do is do stuff for me, you never develop a personal relationship. It's kind of like this. You know, you get married. But instead of spending time with your spouse, what you do is you go out and you work all the time so you can give them stuff to do stuff for them, and you never spend any time with them. Is there something wrong with that? Yes! not the purpose of the relationship same thing with god spiritualizing away conflict avoiding truth just to keep the peace that's a problem covering over brokenness weakness and failure limit living without limits not letting god stop you, you try to do it all and then the last one is judging the journey spiritual journeys of other people like everybody's supposed to be just like you or just like me no they're not we're going to talk about these things over the next several w- minutes, but I want you to think just for a minute. I want to give you one. I'm going to have one minute of silence. 
And these things I just gave you the list of, I want to ask yourself during that minute of silence, which is the one that God right now is bringing to your attention as we read that list? You're going, none of them. You're not aware of who you are. I want you to give you just one minute to think about that list. And I'll ask you, uh, Jim, just to go back to the first part of the list and then go back to the second part again. Oh, there you go. But just a, a focus for one minute, and I'm going to be quiet for one minute, about which of these is God saying to you is an issue that you need to deal with. Then I'm going to close just briefly, just a moment. So just reflect for one minute. Did that seem longer than a minute to you? Maybe it's because we have trouble being quiet for a minute and reflecting. You know, that Psalm 51.17 says this, God delights in a broken and contrite heart. Of all the things he could have said to you, he says that. God delights in a broken and contrite heart. It's probably David saying that as he reflected upon what God really wanted in his life. Remember this, gospel is good news. It's okay to be human. It's all okay to fail. But if you do that, which we all do, it's better to be like David. He was just as bad a sinner as Saul. But he understands, understood the grace and mercy. He understood what it needed to get back to God, to run to and receive his grace. He understood that it, without reflection and without awareness of who he was, he could never be what God, who, who God wanted him to be. We're going to talk about that more next week in the example of David. I want to give you two things this week that you can work on to help you in regard to this whole area of learning to reflect and learning to be more aware of who you are. On the back of your um, outline this morning, there's a little thing that says examine yourself. Each week we're going to have this little self-test on here, Okay. And uh, you grade yourself. Uh, I don't have one in front of me, but I believe from one to four. And the, the key is up at the top of the page. And as you grade yourself on those, uh, I just want you to keep a hold of this. Do not throw these away because at the end of this eight-week series, you're going to take each week there's going to be a different exam in yourself. At the end of the series, you're going to take all these, and I'm going to give you the key to asking yourself the question, am I an emotional adult, an adult, uh, emotional adolescent, an emotional child or emotional infant. And what do I need to do about that? And what does that mean for me? 
And then a second thing, for those of you who'd like to go deeper with this as well, and to learn to practice of not just, you know, we always tell people to spend a quiet time with God in the morning. You know that one of the traditions in Christian faith and and other faiths is to spend, to carve out small portions of time during the day for God. And so we have a little book out there. You can you can purchase a little devotional book called The Daily Office. It sounds like, no, it's not about the office, okay? It's, it's about a time, spending time with God. And it gives you two times each day to carve out five minutes of time to just to go and, and to be with God. It's not where you go over your prayer list. It's not where you ask God for anything. It's just spending time with God. There's one scripture verse, a very brief thing to say, and one question. And it gives you, it outlines two days a week, doing either one in the morning and at midday or midday in the evening or whatever you do. You choose the times to do that. But carving out times in your day to, to, uh, to grow in your relationship with God and become more connected with God because we need to spend time with Him if we really love Him. So we'll have those available out for purchase out at the uh, uh, Welcome Center this morning for the next couple of weeks. Also, the passages deal with in the Scripture and the topics deal with the stuff we're talking about each week in this time of worship together and the same thing that our small groups are doing as well. I believe it's important to be quiet, to be still, to reflect, to be aware of who we are so that we can know and ask the question, God, what does it say about, what are you teaching me? What do you, what do you want, to, want me to know? And who do you want me to be? And so we can experience God as a loving Father, not as just a rule keeper up in the sky. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.